Welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hanna, back in as our squad rotation continues during a busy spell of fixtures. With me this week are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. And Michael Sadler. Hello, Michael. Hi there. So on the agenda this week is, of course, a win for Ulster that probably felt a bit more like a defeat due to the significance of a drop bonus point. We'll also look ahead to the visit of Leinster this weekend and assess Ireland's own underwhelming win, that one against Italy on Saturday afternoon, I think. Yes. So we'll do all of that signposted by a plethora of listener questions. Thank you for each and every one of them. They feature Nick Timoney, Stuart McCluskey, Geordie Murphy and lots more besides. So we'll try and get in as many as possible and in order to do that we'll get straight into it without further ado Ulster 21 Ospreys 7 overall Jonathan then a disappointment the conference is now out of Ulster's hands and really require something of a miracle to reach the final at this stage well that's it because you summed it up there their destiny is now out of their own hands it doesn't matter if they get five points and Leinster get none on Saturday they're still going to need help from elsewhere so what was billed as a sort of quasi semi-final admittedly one more Ulster were starting from a distinct disadvantage now it doesn't have that sort of knockout feel to it because even if Ulster win they're still going to be mightily up against it because as we've seen nobody has stopped Ulster getting or sorry nobody has stopped Leinster getting a bonus point all season so it's highly unlikely that they're going to drop points against either Zebra or the Ospreys after this game yeah like I mean, nobody really thought Leinster were going to get beaten by Connacht earlier in the season, Michael, but for them to get beaten by Ospreys or Zebra or even to drop a single point is probably asking a bit too much. Do you think now it's over for Ulster, really? Well, it's never over till it's really over, Gareth. I'll try and add a slight optimistic but foolish, foolishly optimistic tone <laughs> there, um, which is very unlikely in fairness. Yeah, I think we even said it last week that you know it, it kind of looked gone. We were very much hoping that this game on Saturday would have that real tension, that real bite to it, but we've lost that now. Ulster have lost control. Leinster will not, well, should not slip up against what they've got left, even if they don't get what they want, uh, say, a win at the Kingspan, which they don't actually need, I should say. When I say what they want, they don't really need it. They also tend not to play any games without coming away with some sort of uh, bonus points. So this game now is a very, very deflated looking thing, which is an awful shame, I suppose, for the Pro 14, as it sort of edges towards its grand final, that we didn't have this, these two sides locked together in this battle right to the very end. I think it was very obvious as well from Ulster weren't putting any gloss on it last week uh, after the Ospreys game with Dan McFarland. How could he? I think the media briefing this week, they just more or less decided they weren't really going to talk about it at all, apart from being another game, you know, so on and so, you know, et cetera. So there is that feeling that, you know, it's like it's like your football's gone down, all the air's gone out of it. We're, we're just approaching this game. And in effect, yeah, it, 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 it's gone, which is very, very disappointing, obviously. Uh, we were really hoping that we would have a, a, a finally a really meaningful uh, interprovincial clash at um, an albeit deserted Kingspan, but we're not going to have that now. Johnny, I suppose it's tempting for... Some people maybe to think of this now as a bit of a, a failure in that, that Ulster haven't achieved what, well, Ulster are unlikely now to achieve what they set out to achieve ultimately, which is to get to a final and win the Pro 14. But given the context of the way this season's gone, the way the rules have been tweaked, and like we're talking about a couple of bonus points being the difference to what we're talking about this week, is that harsh to view it 
in those terms. It's not harsh to view it as a failure because their ultimate goal is to topple Leinster, which they failed to do. To say that it's a failure because they haven't got to the final, whereas they got to the final last year, to say that they're going backwards because of that would be harsh. Because realistically, as we've seen in Europe two years ago in the league forever, essentially they're going to come unstuck whenever they face Leinster. So you judge the season, I suppose, in a way, and this is something that McFarland sort of touched on as well. You judge it by how much closer you're getting to Leinster as much as you judge it by how much further you're getting away from the rest of the league. So to me, I suppose I would view it in the same way as last year. Last year, whenever you had to beat Leinster, you couldn't. This year, whenever you had to beat Leinster, you couldn't, even though they're the only side they've beaten. Yeah. Well, as I say, we'll we'll probably uh, get on to all that a little bit more at the end of the season, but... For now, Michael, what we, we need to look at, I suppose, are when it comes down to those lack of bonus points that uh, is proving the difference. Ian Frizzell has pointed out that in the first eight games before the European matches, Ulster were scoring tries for fun at an average of five a game. That's dropped to an average of two per game over the last five matches. And Ulster have failed to score a bonus point in any of those. So that is ultimately the difference here. But why are Ulster struggling to score those those key tries all of a sudden? As he says, it was it just seemed so easy at the in the first half of the season. Um why oh I I, I honestly don't know how you how do you answer that? I don't really know why. I mean, um there's no easy answer to that. Why are why why did they score lots of points at the start of the season? They're not scoring them now. Um, the side has not been substantially decimated by injury or anything like that. Far from it. I just don't know what's what, what why they've they've gone off the boil in that regard. It's almost as if uh, knowing that they need to acquire these now seems to have a, a, a been almost a burden to them. We saw their first half performances against uh, the Ospreys and Glasgow taking the last two games there when they were both absolutely gunning to do this and they were both very, very poor. And Ulster have a tendency to put in poor patches in games, but those both those first halves were were very strangely um, off-colour. Now, of course, we had the break. We did have a break in fairness, so maybe you could argue that some of the momentum that they had going into that, that, that break when they had no cancelled games kind of came back to bite them in a way because they just... It's looked as if it's taken them time to find their way into games since they came back. But look, I'm only clutching at straws here. I have no real answer to that. I doubt Dan McFarlane might have even have an answer to that. Yeah. It's just something that's happened. But they do look to me like a side who are slightly burdened by the fact of where they are and what they're trying to do. And you could kind of argue that as well by saying, but, you know, you know that, that, that's the nature of, of the sport. I don't know. Maybe the Leinster thing has got into their psyche a bit. Uh, maybe the fact that, you know, they've had to go chasing these things has proved to be very, very difficult for them. They have certainly had longer periods in the last two games when they have looked distinctly ordinary. And on the basis of them being at the start of those games as well, you kind of already know, and maybe they do too, that getting that bonus point in the second half is going to be a step too far, which indeed it proved to be on both those particular occasions with them scoring very late tries at the end of first halves. It's a bit late then to get your first try by in that point. I don't know. Are they forcing it? I don't know. Is there much disruption in what they've done due to the break? Again, I don't really have an answer to that, unfortunately. I wish I could come up with something that's really substantial, but I, I, I simply don't. But they do look like a side who aren't sort of playing within themselves and who haven't been able now to put together um, a really effective 
game now in those last two, certainly since they came back, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Did Does that answer the question? Probably not. Is there a real lack of consistency across the 80 minutes, I think, and there has been at various patches throughout the season, like up until the after the Leinster game, it looked like they were sort of struggling with their third quarters, mm-hmm. if you like. But they hadn't really put together the 80-minute performance at any stage throughout the season. But there's a big difference between a bad third quarter and a bad first half. So the difference that it makes of having a bad start to a game compared to a bad start to a second half, when half the time they already had the bonus point wrapped up by that stage, obviously takes its toll as well in the pressure. And then you see mistakes under pressure. Like It's not like they're not creating the opportunities. Like All three of those Rob Little scores, if you like, as an example, weren't created because of a forward pass. Like It wasn't like the pass had to be forward for Rob Little to have scored, if you know what I mean. That's execution, and it's execution under pressure, and the pressure increases the later you get into the season, but also the later you get into the game without having hit your stride. I don't know. I just feel like any other season, bar this one, if Ulster were sitting exactly where they are now, you'd be thinking, this is good. Do you know what I mean? Like This is, this is very promising for their, their prospects, but it, it is what it is this season, and uh, um, hopefully it'll, it'll stand them in good stead for going forward. So, of course, on uh, Friday night then, there was a return for Jacob Stockdale after an injury that lasted much longer than we, we had originally thought it would. How did how did he bet in? How, what did you make of his performance? Yeah, I thought he played pretty well. He looked sharp enough. He had to do probably more defensive work than he would have liked compared to what he got to do with ball in hand. Had a couple of nice takes in the air. But he yeah, played pretty well. Looked fairly sharp. It'll be interesting to see how he goes this week now as well. Because he's going to play for Ulster this weekend against Leinster, obviously with a view to potentially getting called back up into the Six Nations panel for the last couple of games against Scotland and England. Magaly wasn't the only one back then from injury. Robert Balakoon and Sean Reedy <laughs> coming off the, the bench for Ulster. Very promising, a good yep. a good time in the season. It's supposed to be getting these players back with the the Challenge Cup coming up on that. But what did you what did you make of all three of those guys? Johnny hit the nail on the head with Stockdale. Looked sharp, looked good. Looks like he could do with a lot more work, and he's ready for it. And looks like he could make a difference. Uh, Robert Balakoon, they just swapped around at halftime. I uh, came on, and, and I suppose we were watching him even more carefully because the injury he'd suffered, which uh, basically he hadn't played at all. I think he yeah he suffered it in preseason way back in uh, August, I think July August. So it was very interesting to see how he would go, considering the nature of his injury, which was a very unpleasant tear from the bone of his hamstring. Plus then, I think, another ankle issue that emerged. He looked good. I thought he looked pretty sharp as well. And again, a great time to be deploying him. Or maybe not, because we're running out of games, if you're talking about Pro 14, with the thing having kind of slipped away. But he looked good. But Sean Reedy as well. I thought Sean Reedy had a fantastic game came on and made a huge difference to the pack. He just had, you know, uh, such an appetite for work, made such an impact. And I suppose just when, you know, they could have been slipping a bit, he, he really, really helped give them that extra energy and experience to, to to keep them going. Three really, really good guys to get back at this point. And clearly, you know, you're thinking, as you've already pointed out, Challenge Cup. Yeah, that's true. Rainbow Cup, which maybe you could argue is a conspiracy against Ulster to stop them winning the Pro 14. No one thought of that, did they? It's all a conspiracy to wreck their season. But anyway, having those guys fit and ready to go at this stage looks looks really, really, really well-timed for Ulster, if not for the Pro 14, for what hopefully remains. So obviously the point was also made Jacob may be taken out of that if Andy Farrell wants him back with Ireland. But we'll, we'll just wait and see. 
all three of them should play this weekend. All three of them I really would expect to be in the starting team. And the team to be pretty much as fully loaded as Ulster can manage mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday. Yeah. Shame it's just not the game we exactly. hoped it would be. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. I'm excited for the Challenge Cup. We'll talk about this in future weeks too. I think it's going to be really? Ulster are going to win the trophy. It's going to be fantastic. But look, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Steady on, Gara. <laughs> um, so uh, you mentioned there Sean Reedy, Michael, and the impact that he had. It's something picked up by the South Wales Ulster Rugby Sporters Club. Uh, he talked about his immense work rate along with the rise of <clears throat> Nick Timoney as Ulster's key mm. turnover man and a crash ball stew, Nicole Stuart McCluskey. So they ask, given all of that, have Ulster Rugby any real concerns with the imminent departure of Marcel Kutsia and even suggest it's uh, a bit of deja vu after Ruan Pinar's departure? Ulster obviously have, uh, have done okay without him. So, Johnny, is there merit to this? Not going to miss Marcel at all? Well, I think McCluskey would take exception to being called crash ball stew for starters. <laughs> If he doesn't like the Bangor Bulldozer, then I think he certainly won't like a uh, crash ball stew. <laughs> They'll miss Marcel Katsia, of course they will. I think most teams in the world will miss Marcel Katsia. That doesn't take away from the fact that Nick Timoney's in a great run of form. But yeah, they'll miss Marcel because... He's the best player. But there is merit in this that there's there's hope beyond them, you know, with what they have here and the the new signing, Leone coming in to add uh, his his bit to it as well. Do you know, like it's not the it's not all doom and gloom. I didn't say it was, I just no, said no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I tell you what, a lot of work's gonna have to be done with Leone because again, I watched him there playing against Leinster and he did one half and he, he really didn't look at it at all. But you know, let's just hope that uh, Dan McFarland, you know, shape, he shapes up well in the offseason for Ulster. Because you wouldn't want that, that. That's that's not an impactful player we've got at the moment mm-hmm. with Leone. But then he's only back. He's only back. So he is. Yeah, that's, that's true. He'll be that bit sharper all being well come the start of next season. So uh, another question, Nick Timoney, who you mentioned there briefly now, McDonald says, uh, why do you think? Nick doesn't get the recognition of the great form he's been in this year. He's really stepped up since Marcel's announcement. I think he's a, a bit of an unsung one. Well, like they've only really played five games since Marcel announced that he was leaving. Like it's not that long ago that Nick Timoney was playing for the Ulster A team in a European weekend. So, and in the middle of this, you've had a six week break. So, I think if he was to do it over the course of a longer period, then he, he would get the recognition that people think think he deserves. Like. We were talking to him on Friday about this and just what he thinks he's done, I suppose, to have this sort of marked improvement in his form, to win his place back in the team and win his place back in the 23 even. You're saying it's sort of, um, he thinks it's just a sort of mental thing that's maybe clicked with him and it'll be interesting to watch how, how it plays out over whatever's left of this season. And if he can continue to make that impact, because as people have alluded to, if he can establish himself as a, if you like, automatic Heineken Cup level starter, then it's a big, big difference to that Ulster back row moving forward of what I could see. And what do you think his potential is, Michael? He's now 25, approaching <laughs> his peak. Do you think he has the potential to be able to, to go and do that? I don't see why not. It looks, certainly from the outside, like the, the whole... If you like the situation with Marcel going has opened a door for him, and it's one that he's not hesitated to to go through, knowing full well that now is the time to really hold his hand up and to deliver on the promise that there has always been with him. He's always been known as an extremely mobile 
player. He's played sevens. The, the, the thing that perhaps was a bit lacking for him was that physicality. Yeah. But he's worked really hard on that. It's all about, look, the, the, the sport of professional rugby is all about opportunities. He seems to have seen one, which is understandable, and has grabbed it, I think, with both hands. I mean, at the moment, uh, the way he's playing, he would be, yeah, he's he's there. He's a, he, he, you, you would it'd be very hard to exclude him, shall we say, as long as Marcel's not fit. If Marcel comes back in, then you've got a situation with Reedy and, and Murphy. It doesn't necessarily work for him. But on the basis that we don't know how fit or otherwise Marcel is, Nick Timoney is right there at the moment and, and not just there to fill in a hole. He's there and, and, and thoroughly deserves his start. If Say if Marcel is fit to go or good to go this weekend against Leinster. That's a big, big decision Dan McFarlane's got to make. Which one of Reedy, Murphy and Timoney? You know, three of them can't go in the back row. And it would have perhaps not that long ago been an easy decision to make. You'd have just gone, yeah, yeah, Reedy, Murphy. But Nick Timoney is, is certainly, uh, I, I, you know, definitely will be giving Dan McFarland more food for thought mm-hmm. in regards what to do with him. That is if Marcel is is fit, of course. Especially that pace he showed for Cooney's try, like that was just incredible, incredible. It's like yeah, well, he's he's, winger, he's always that's 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 his that's his thing. He's got yeah. tremendous pace. He's always had that. That's not what he's really had to work on, you know, mm-hmm. to get his game up. But it looks to me like he's bulked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he hasn't lost the pace as we saw for that try, but it looks to me like he's more physical and just in terms of his upper body shape. He was talking about the mental aspect of his recent transformation whenever we were speaking to him. But to me, there looks like there's been a degree of a physical transformation as well, because we saw it for one of his carries, I think, against Glasgow as well. Oh, sorry, his try against Glasgow. Just the strength that he brings to the carry now, to me, looks like he's made an improvement in that regard and his strength over the ball in terms of turnover as well. So... To be able to add those things to the pace that has always been there would be a real asset for him moving forward. Look. So, Michael, you were talking about Jordy Murphy there mm-hmm. as well and that dilemma in the, the back row coming up for this weekend. JW says with Jordy stepping up as captain for the past couple of matches, he feels his performances are really raised with it. Do you agree? Yes. Can we, is that it? Or do I have to elaborate? Of course I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I, do, I do agree. Jordy's you know, would would I, I felt would have tended to sort of uh, come in and out of games, you know, for a while. But certainly, you know, his work rate has never been doubted. But it's almost like um, this has given him an extra, you know, lift, an extra yard or two, an extra bit of energy. He certainly seems to be, so far anyway, enjoying the experience. Clearly, Alan O'Connor is a much more experienced captain, but they've decided to go with Jordy. And as we all know, they, they tend to hand it to Billy Burns as well when he's around. It's not. So he's he's done well. Yeah, he's playing very well. You know, there are elements within this team that are playing very well, you know, are, are really showing great form. It's it's a shame the whole collective isn't. But Jordy certainly is one of them. And I don't think anyone would take any great issue with the fact that he seems to have just that little bit extra, that little bit extra physicality at the breakdown. You know, he's winning poaches, almost seeming to be a rallying point. It, it is It is good to see that he's in this this vein of form as well. And with Timoney going well too, as we already alluded to, and, and maybe Sean Reedy coming back. That's that that's a great that, that's a great combination there. It really is. But yeah, very impressed with Jordy. And I'm sure you know I, I doubt there'd be too many people would take issue with that. I think to be fair to him, it actually we'd saw the form that he was in before he was given the captaincy because similar to Timoney, the vein of form that he goes that he's in goes back to that Connick game at Christmas time which was something McFarland mm. mentioned when he was talking about 
Jordy after the uh, Glasgow win. It's been a straight like before that Connacht game is basically twelve months since he was left out of that Ireland uh, stock tag thing, and since then it's just been a really funny year and a bit for him. But it's really nice yeah. to come back because like he wasn't wasn't even playing for Ulster for so long there this season, and nice to see him back in. I think he's back approaching somewhere around his his best form now. Yeah, I do. I do think that he is. Um, like you say, it's so hard to judge anybody's form over the last year because it's everything's been so yeah. stop start. Like even whenever we were talking to Murphy last week, you know, we we're sort of saying that you know he was in good form, but it's like you know that's three games two months ago, sort of thing, and then three games, two games even in the last uh, couple of weeks. So there's been such breaks, and Sean Reedy falls into that bracket as well of like when you're trying to judge their form, what are you actually looking at? Like you know, you could say Sean. Sean Reedy's in great form going back for his last 12 games, but they could be spread out over a year and a half, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So while we're on the subject, Michael, you did mention it earlier, the dilemma in that back row for this weekend, because Ulster had said yesterday that Marcel is doubtful for this weekend. Do we know any more than that? Do we think he's going to play? We don't officially, but you know, we can only speculate that you know he, he, he might not be available. Um, we just don't know. Uh, if he's not available, well, as we've already discussed, they're 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 not going to be, uh, should we say, lacking in, in in people they can put out in the back row. If he is able to play well and good, but we don't know. But maybe the safe money might be on the fact that that uh, he's not necessarily going to be talking out this weekend, mm-hmm. and they might, you know, it might be just a little bit too early for him. But we don't really officially know. The the bench spot that would be interesting in that case because yes. we. Greg Jones started at the week. He's going through the return to play protocols. So if he doesn't come through those, then who, who's on the bench? You know, McCann, Ray, yeah. either Ray, sorry. Um, <laughs> I think Matty Ray played in the A game, I think. Yeah, I think he played uh, in the second I, row, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. I'm not sure if Marcus played or not. Don't know. We don't, we know very little about the A game really at this stage. So yeah. it, it yeah, I mean that is true. Who who will who will it be? We we really really don't know. An opportunity for one of those three, you would imagine. Yeah. So going back to Crash Ball Stew, Big Jim says that he loves him with a capital L O V E, but he asks, is he overused as a crash ball guy? So is he effect not actually crash ball stew after all? And does that stifle the creativity that Ulster had with a different 12 earlier in the season? He says it's not a criticism of the player, but more so how he's being used. I suppose you're judging him when he's playing without Marcel Katsia. So without Marcel Katsia, then they really rely upon him to get the gain line success that you need for everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult. Well, sorry, also without Henderson, it's very difficult to shoulder that load on your own so I wouldn't say it sort of feeds into what people are saying about Ireland as well you know it's it's one thing to say oh that they're just it's crash ball it's trucking up but unless you're winning the collisions and it's very hard to do everything else mm. whenever McCluskey wasn't there earlier in the season one you were playing against much much weaker opposition and you had guaranteed gain line success given the form that Marcel Gutsia was in at the time so it's an awful lot of interconnected parts, I think, rather than just saying, and as we touched on just when these periods of lack of consistency are coming through, rather than, I think, looking at it and saying, oh, well, they were scoring a lot more tries. 
let's be honest, fairly weak teams whenever it was human Moore in the centre. But obviously the future is without Marcel. Is this something that we could see just happening for Stuart more and more then, that he is just utilised in this fashion? Well, I think they're <laughs> obviously in a different way, but they're thinking they can get gain line success out of Nakawara as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen you know, and talked about Timoney's extra physicality in the carry and I suppose the tempo that Ulster are trying to play at as well, or the tempo that Dan McFarland will want to play at, I think personally will be at an even higher tempo next season. The game plan that he's trying to <clears throat> implement and build upon. Personally, I think that'll suit McCluskey well, playing at that high tempo, but he needs other carriers around him. Yeah, that's fair enough. So Mark Dempsey just asked if we think Ulster have progressed this season. I suppose we touched on that a little bit earlier on in the episode. And as we say, we will be looking into that probably in quite a bit of depth come the end of the season as usual. So for, for this week, then we'll move on to discuss the game this weekend. Obviously, as we have already said, we've already branched into it quite a bit, but it's not the the big winner takes all class that we had probably hoped for so long that it was going to be so uh, a little bit of that excitement has gone but we know that Ulster will have Tom O'Toole and Stuart McCluskey back Leinster are missing 15 internationals because 15 of the 23 who are remaining with Ireland are from Leinster who they're getting back are Ed Byrne, Ross Byrne, Rhys Ruddock and Josh van der Fleer. so considering all that and the rather well, I don't know whether you can call the shadow side, given the depth that Leinster have there, but um, given the second string that they're going to be putting out, Ulster need a 5-0 points return in this if they're if they're going to have any hope of Leinster even dropping a single point in the other two, as unlikely as that is. How likely do you reckon it is that Ulster can go <clears throat> 5-0 here? Well, I think Ulster will have an awful lot closer to their first team, if you like. They're, they're only really going to be missing a few players through injury, plus Henderson, Burns and Herring. Mm-hmm with Ireland and in you know John Andrews been in great form this season Madigan played really well against Glasgow and as the starting 10 for me they don't have probably, probably the bit the bigger drop off in the squad is when Henderson's missing you know Carter's out at the minute as well and we know what Alan O'Connor and Kieran Treadwell can do but if you're missing half of your uh, first four choice locks if you like then Mm-hmm. obviously you're going to miss somebody like Henderson all the more. I didn't think Lancer were particularly impressive on Sunday. Now, I do think that was probably the best chance for them to drop points remaining mm-hmm. in the other games. But certainly once Harry Byrne went off, they looked a bit, I suppose, a bit rudderless in attack. But, but that's going to be completely negated, even if Harry Byrne is out because they'll have Ross Byrne back to play 10. It's a big challenge for Ulster, but if... Basically, an Ulster team as close to their full strength as they will be should have plenty to beat Leinster at home when Leinster are missing 15 players to Ireland. Mm-hmm. But it's not just beating Leinster. It's beating them comfortably and with a bonus point. Yeah, well, you know, this is the thing we touched on earlier. Like, nobody stopped Leinster getting a bonus point, so that's the challenge. <laughs> You're trying to do something that nobody else has done. Yeah. Like, even in that... If you look back to that Connacht game, which really, really got away from Leinster. They still managed to get a bonus point out of it in the end. Mm. And everybody focused on the fact that they'd lost. But that point that they got at the end when the game was already lost looms large now. And it's mm. that's the difference 
that such small things can be such a big difference over the course of a season is something that Leinster have understood for a long time and that's why they have the success that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Michael, what do you think? Chances of a, a five now? Not high. You know, I, I think in many ways, even though it's been somewhat devalued, assuming that everything works out the way it will this season, that I think nevertheless Ulster will use it very much as a benchmark to see where they are against these guys. But bear in mind, it's really what, what Johnny's already said. This is the second stroke, third string Leinster coming. This is very close to Ulster's strongest side. Ulster at home. Uh, Leinster, Leinster don't live and die through the result here. So if you're ever going to get them, this is probably as good a time as any. But I don't think you're going to run them 5-0. I do think, you know, Ulster will be deeply, deeply disappointed if they don't beat this Leinster side coming their way with the resources they have at their disposal. Mm-hmm. I'm very but deeply disappointed. I think, you know, we, let, let's just leave aside the table. You know, there's not a lot of point in pondering over the table because it's, it, it's, it looks out of their control. I think it's very important for Dan McFarland, you know, to narrow that gap with the gold standard, which he has alluded to in, in the past as seemingly, you know, naturally being an ambition because this is what you simply have to do if you're ever going to end this very, very lengthy wait, you know, from lifting a trophy. Don't see them doing a fight. They're not in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, That lead loss to Gloucester starts to make an awful lot more sense. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So, no, I don't see them doing a 5-0. I'm afraid I don't. I do see them actually winning the game, but I don't see them them 5-0-ing them. Okay. So, if we discuss the Ulster team then a little bit more in detail... We have a question in from Glenn Wilmont who asked what will the starting back three be on Saturday night? Even though Michael Lowry is on fire, he says, will he be able to handle the likely bombardment from on high or will Jacob Stockdale step into 15 with Balakun and Little on the wings? Michael, you already said you would start Balakun and Stockdale, but where? I would put them on the wings and keep Michael Lowry at fullback. That's it. Uh, Rob Little, you know, it's very, very unfortunate for Rob. Uh, He probably knew this was coming, which makes it even more frustrating for him that he crossed the line three times against the Ospreys not to get one single one allowed. I'd bench Rob Little and I'd start Balakun and Stockdale. Assuming that, you know, Dan McFarland wants to go at this game as hard as as he can, which there's no reason to believe uh, that he doesn't, uh, regardless of the, the league situation yeah. uh, i'd expect that's what he'd do and i would keep michael larry there and i, I think michael larry be able to manage bombardments i mean you know i don't think leinster will necessarily be bombarding him anyway um i don't think that they would probably keep it in hand if they can mm-hmm. but even if they do i don't see why michael larry can't cope with it yeah nothing he hasn't faced before at this stage jonathan what about you? that back that back three area because for the craig gilroy pieces in the paper today so just sort of thinking about it like you've got Balakun, Stockdale, Laurie, Little, Gilroy, Ben McElroy, Ethan McElroy, Aaron Sexton. That's eight players <laughs> yeah. capable of playing across the back three. Like, if that was at Leinster and these were all products of the Leinster Academy, because bearing in mind, these, that's not including Addison, who's obviously injured, but the rest of these guys are all products of the Ulster Academy. Mm-hmm. There will be talk of, you know, do we need to ship one of these boys elsewhere so that they get uh, so that they get game time? Like it's gonna be incredibly tough 
to yeah. get minutes. Like you look at the example of Craig Gilroy, who played against Glasgow, scored against Glasgow, and then was carrying the water bottles against Ospreys. Like it's an incredibly competitive area for Ulster at the minute when all these boys are fit and projecting down the line, you're maybe thinking that, you know, they could be without Stockdale and Balakoon for large chunks of future seasons and possibly Laurie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but at present, it's sort of an embarrassment of riches there to choose from. Yeah. It's a, look, just reading that piece today with Gilroy, well worth a read. Interesting to just think about his predicament at the minute. He talks about the whippersnappers coming up behind him. Is his sort of, not long-term, but sort of over the next two or three years, is that something you'd worry about for him in terms of game time? Or as you say, will the, those other players potentially going to Ireland mean that he'll, he'll actually uh, get playing plenty? Yeah, Cricket was sort of in a strange place in this group because he's coming 30 later this month which seems hard to believe but at the same time it feels like we've been watching him score tries for Ulster forever like um but look he's got a contract for next season so um but a one-year deal so it's something that's going to be revisited next year and I guess it'll just be up to his performances to uh as he said fend off these young whippersnappers because Aaron Sexton will be a year further down the track. Ethan McElroy will be a year further down the track. Um, ben Moxham will be a year further down the track. And then even guys like Connor Rankin, who we haven't seen yet for the senior team, has been playing for the A team. So <clears throat> as well as Balakun, Little, Laurie and Stockdale, who are all still at an age where they should be improving, whereas Greg, no no fault of his own. It's not, it's not his fault he's coming 30. Um is at a level where if you're going to be making improvements, you're going to be, it's going to be through your experience, your knowledge, your your know-how, um, how you prepare, things like that, you know? Does that make him important to keep about there, though? I mean, not considering Alison at the minute, like, do Ulster need that in there? Do they need that experience? Or with the likes of, like, especially when Stockdale's away, do they need somebody like Craig even just about the camp? Yeah, like I, I guess you could say that with Stockdale, he's obviously a senior figure, despite the fact that he's twenty-four. So, like, it's not something that I would be worried about. But you can always see the advantage of, you know, something that I talked about with Craig like last week. Like, he's sort of in that role now that Andy Trimble and Tommy Bow were in whenever he was coming through, almost, and just having that extra experience, if you like, but also <laughs> needing to be aware as well of still fighting for his place and now with the reality of it fighting for a contract as well mm, yeah well look we've got we've got sidetracked by Craig, Craig Gilroy away from the uh, the team for the weekend because it was just uh, just interesting that he might not once again make the squad after uh, scoring against Glasgow as you say so moving on if we have that back three then of the uh, Balakun Stockdale and Lowry at fullback Michael, moving in to the centre, James Hume and Stuart yeah. played last week. Would you uh, just stick there? I, I would very much. And sorry, just throw a spoke in the works. It just occurred to me that they might play Jacob at 15 if they move Michael Lowry into 10. There's a thought for you. I know it's highly <laughs> unlikely, but you never know. That's somewhere else. Of course, yeah. we forget Michael can play. And he does tend yeah. to play as well when Madigan, you know, on situations when he goes off. But yeah, sorry, I completely sidetrack everybody there. Um, yeah, I would go with those two. Definitely in midfield. There's no, I don't think there's any. No. I think that, that there's no real alternative there. I think that that's the best midfield they can put out, and they'll do it. Yeah. Is the team not pretty much pick itself this week? No. Do you not, th- yeah. do you not think? Well, 
well, Johnny, I just thought the listeners might be interested. Well, you rattle through the rest of it for us there. Go on ahead. We'll leave you to it. O'Sullivan, Andrew. Oh, no, we'll go, we'll look, Johnny, go to the halfbacks now. Come on, don't don't put us out of order. Don't confuse the issue. Halfbacks, please. Madigan and Cooney. Right, uh, front row. O'Sullivan, Andrew, Marty Moore. Okay, and your locks? Treadwell and O'Connor. Back row. Oh, Timoney, Reedy, Murphy. All right, you make your point. Yes, it does back itself. <laughs> you saved this valuable time. What about the bench? What about the bench? Let's see. Nice. Yeah, the bench, the bench could be where things get more interesting, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not going through the bench unless you have anything interesting that you want to point out as to who you might uh, you might put on the bench. Well, I suppose we could actually throw in another listener question that we have here now. That... Uh, so somebody did want to throw a spanner in these works of this uh, team that is easy to select. So Kyle asked, should Ulster back Cormac Isichukwu for the remainder of the season at Lockheed? Yeah, I think so. Dan McFarland was fairly uh, fairly effusive in his praise of him there after the uh, after the Ospreys game. And, you know, he can provide something that not an awful lot of people can just through his athleticism, through the way that he plays the game. And... It's really worth over these last couple of games that we don't think are going to matter much in terms of the Pro 14 and the Rainbow Cup, if it happens, that you sort of find out what you have in a few of these guys in a way. And Izzichukwu is a player that has looked good in A games. I think he's looked bright in his cameos and could play a big role moving into next season. So these sort of dead rubbers that we're envisaging coming up at the end of the Pro 14, however many of them there may be, the Rainbow Cup, to me, it's a chance to give these guys some experience. And I'd throw, I would say, Dave McCann and Marcus Ray into that mix as well. See more of Ethan McElroy, maybe see a bit more of Aaron Sexton, certainly more of Stuart Moore because he's not played in forever now, um, having played so much earlier in the season, a bit strange. I just give them that experience because they're going to be important next season. Like the way the seasons went this year with Ulster playing so many teams that are without their international players for such long periods because of the Autumn Nations Cup and stuff and the expanded or sorry, prolonged Six Nations isn't going to be the case next year. And you might not be in a position next year where you are only losing three players to Ireland. So you couple that with the fact that some of that squad depth that you've built up isn't going to be there mm. next season. Like there will, there's going to be some experienced players leaving, and then on the other end of that, you're going to need younger players to fill that gap. Is Chuku not in terms of players leaving because Carter has obviously been retained, but Is Chuku is somebody that's coming through in a position where Ulster, as we've said, don't have their greatest amount of depth. So I would say absolutely, yeah, let him build on this, let him build the momentum and back himself in games where, let's be honest, the results aren't going to be particularly important if we envisage that Leinster aren't going to drop any other points. And I don't know, I could be wrong, but I don't imagine anybody's particularly amped up about whether else to do or don't win the Rainbow Cup. No, I can't. I mean, I'm all on board for the Challenge Cup, but no, the Rainbow Cup, um, I haven't been able to set myself up for that just yet. But I mean, you never know. You never know. Jonathan, if uh, Leinster do drop a point and Ulster also drop a point, I'm going to hold you solely responsible for calling those games dead rubbers at this stage. 
Well, they could be complete dead rubbers if Leinster win on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Fair, fair. What else have we got to discuss? Uh, Ireland, of course. Ireland, we haven't even mentioned Ireland's big win over Italy. 48 points to 10. What a time to be alive. Michael, what, uh, I know you had written about this for the Sunday Life. What exactly can we take and did we learn from that, if anything? That is an interesting question. What can we take from that? Hmm, yeah. Well, first of all, we can take the fact that uh, we're always going to beat Italy and we're always going to run up. Ireland are always going to run up between somewhere, ideally, between 40, if not 50-plus points. They very nearly did 50-plus points. It's about, I suppose, after coming in off the back of two defeats, just building that bit of confidence again. I suppose also trying to deflect some of the criticism over the fact that they haven't really got a what seems to be a decent attacking play strategy. They ticked a lot of boxes in this game against Italy, but they were always likely to, unless they were really in deep, deep trouble. So I'm not sure that we've learned an awful lot from it. Mm. Um, we've learned the fact that someone else can put a big score on Italy, which is what we've almost come to expect now anyway. Um, but it was good to see Johnny Sexton last 80 minutes. It was a good thing. And he did have a very, very good game. But again, you have to, I suppose, add the proviso of who he was playing against and the fact that he wasn't really roughed up and that he wasn't necessarily put under a great deal of pressure. But leaving that aside, he still had a very good game, was heavily involved in all the really good work Ireland did, put his tackles in and finished up playing 12, which I would have thought was a bit of a risk, to be honest with you. I would have thought they would have wanted to get him off. But he, he got through it very well. He looked as sharp as he's looked for some time. But again, add the proviso against an Italian team who were very, very poor. But look, they got the job done. And they got their five points. And now I suppose, you know, if we are going to learn anything from the experience, it's really what they now bring to what they can bring to the Scotland game and whether or not uh, some of the issues and some of the problems that they've had have been ironed out now and that they also produce an encouraging performance um, against the Scots um, over over in Murrayfield. Mm-hmm. All of that remains to be seen and will the only real answers you can take, I suppose, from what happened in Rome are to what level of performance they hit the ground with when they're, they're playing um, Scotland, who of course have, have missed a game due to France's uh, extensive coronavirus problems. Yeah. So we, we'll, we'll, we'll see where we go. It was also good to see James Ryan back um, he had a, he had a he had a really strong game, and finally, you know, the Ringrose Ringrose Henshaw partnership having a bit of space to work with mm. and under less pressure maybe than they, they they had been before. And you could argue that that's all done because of Johnny Sexton's presence, despite the fact that he's thirty five, he's still the man who makes everything happen. And it was good to see Craig Casey on too. So you know, there are a lot of positives, but again, but dot dot dot. It was Italy, so, you know. Yeah. Which is probably the bottom line. Philip Totten asks, Jonathan, what did Ireland gain from giving Billy Burns such little game time? Does the fact he didn't come on sh- sooner show a lack of trust in him, or was it just more about giving Sexton minutes after his injury? Absolutely. Like, he didn't come on particularly late. He didn't come on particularly later than the other replacements, I don't think. Um, I wouldn't say it's a lack of trust. They picked the starting team to win the game. The starting team did that. The bench came on and sort of lifted the tempo a wee bit because the second half had sort of gone a little bit astray from Ireland in terms of their momentum, if not the if not on the scoreboard. So I wouldn't read too much into when Billy came on at all, no. 
I don't know if you were or not, but I was actually quite I was quite bored during the second half, really, to be honest with you. I, I really was. I know it's a terrible thing yeah. to say, but I, I really was. It was just, yeah. you know, sort of petering out in a way. It was 10 minutes. Yeah, well, Italy could have let us die anyway, but, you know, um, obviously not helped by their scrum half, dislocating a finger in the warm-up. But while I think yeah. there was promising glimpses for Italy, even in the big defeats to France and England earlier in the tournament, they were... They were pretty abject on the whole mm. here. So, no, it wasn't much of a contest. But, like, Robbie Henshaw was playing well. I think they wanted to get Sexton minutes. So, yeah. to me, it, like, it didn't seem unusual that um, Billy would wait. Because, like, to be honest, if they had a wanted to, they could have just not brought him on at all if they wanted to get Sexton the minutes, you know. But they brought him on. They stuck Sexton at 12. So, yeah. And also, James Lowe wasn't – was James Lowe challenged in any way defensively in that game? I'm not sure that he was, which is 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 also something that you can overlook. But no, you're absolutely right, Johnny. For Italy, that was a deeply, deeply, deeply disappointing effort, considering those glimpses that they'd shown in their first two games. Uh, to, to, to come back to Rome and have so little to offer the game. And yeah, it is true, losing their scrum half, uh, who is a very, very good player um, in the warm-up. Definitely didn't help, but I mean, it 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 really is. Um, it must be really really tough for them now to have played so poorly. Just before we go, we should note since last week's episode, Ian Henderson's contract was finally announced, a two year extension that we were expecting. Although it expires, I think doesn't it in summer twenty twenty three, so it doesn't actually take him beyond the the World Cup yet. Um, but nonetheless. Good news, and he could should have marked it with a try. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I genuinely don't know how that wasn't given as a try. It makes no sense to me how you can get something that wrong when you have a video like to not get it in real time with the various confusing lines on the Stadio Olimpico pitch from Lazio and Roma. I could guess, you know, what maybe they thought it was the wrong line, but to not get it right with a a video replay um, is beyond me. I'd be, if I was Ian Anderson, I'd be claiming it as a try. My whenever people come to write uh, the press releases for my uh, for my retirement, I'd be putting a wee star beside the the test tries. <laughs> he has five so far, so five with a star then at this stage. Nothing for four years, interestingly. Nothing for four years, no. Dear bless him. Or he scored last week, depending on what way you want to look at. It. <laughs> So look, here we are. We'll have to go because our Zoom timer is about to run out. And with um, this over, I'm not down. He's back to do the sign-off. So we'll do it right now. That's us for this week from Michael Sadler. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks. Goodbye now. And from Jonathan Bradley. Thank you, John. Say thank you, John. Yes, thank you. <laughs> 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 Thanks for listening.